If you tune into KUAR at 5.31 a.m. or 3.49 p.m. Monday through Friday, you can catch the segment called Stardate. It's currently my favorite thing about weekdays. Stardate tells listeners what to look for in the night sky and explains the science and the history and sky lore behind those objects. It opens with that calming, spacey music you hear at a planetarium. And as soon as I hear it on the radio, I am transported back to planetarium shows as a child, which I loved. There's something about stepping into the dome-shaped theater filled with that music and the dim blue light. It takes a minute for your eyes to adjust. You take your seat and lean back. The troubles of the world fade away for a minute, and you are surrounded by the starry sky in all of its glory. What a wonder to behold God's creation. The last show that I saw was a few years ago at the Adler Planetarium in Chicago. It was called Planet Nine. It's about the search for planets on the outskirts of our solar system, Astronomers have discovered something they call the Kuiper Belt, a vast region of icy bodies and comets beyond the orbit of Neptune. It is likely populated with hundreds of thousands of large bodies and an estimated trillion or so comets. Scientists basically are discovering that our solar system is not what we once thought it was. It's far more complex. The show reminded me of St. Paul's words that for now we see in a mirror dimly, but one day we will see face to face. The transfiguration of Jesus offers a similar glimpse into a reality that is much more magnificent than what we usually see. Though instead of an expanded view of the wonder of God's creation, the transfiguration offers us a glimpse into the very glory of God. Every detail of the story is full of glory. Jesus is on top of the mountain with his disciples, Peter, James, and John. He is transfigured before them. His face shines like the sun, and his clothes become dazzling white. Moses and Elijah also appear in glory. A bright cloud descends. And then the voice of God booms out of the heavens, declaring that this is God's beloved Son. And Peter, grasping for some way to comprehend this overwhelming view as a mere mortal, starts awkwardly speaking, offering to build three tents for the glowing figures. It's hard to put the miracle itself into words, and I'm not sure we should try because words are so inadequate. And the disciples didn't really need any words in order to receive God's glory. There's an old doctrine of the church which teaches that God created humans with the capacity to receive God's glory, maybe not all at once, but at least in glimpses from time to time. So like Peter, James, and John, you and I, too, have a capacity for glory. C.S. Lewis preached a sermon in 1942 called The Weight of Glory. In it, he explored our desire to see the glory of God. It's not that we desire to be glorious like Jesus, 
It's that we are looking for some kind of sense of glory, a knowledge of God's brightness and splendor, luminosity. And we want much more than to simply look at it. He wrote, We do not merely want to see beauty, though God knows even that is bounty enough. We want something else which can hardly be put into words, to be united with the beauty we see, to pass into it, to receive it into ourselves, and to become part of it. At present, we are on the outside of it, the wrong side of the door. We cannot mingle with the splendors that we see. But all the leaves of the New Testament are rustling with the rumor that someday, God willing, we shall get in. When human souls have become as perfect in obedience to God, then we will put on our glory. Until that day, perfect obedience to God, we have glimpses. Take the shining faces of Moses and Jesus in their mountaintop experiences. Don't we also see glory shining in one another's faces? It's quite a miraculous thing to behold another person's face. You can practically see the light of God shining through. It's evidence, really, that we have the capacity to see glory, if only dimly for now. C.S. Lewis added something important about you and me, one another. He said this, Next to the blessed sacrament itself, the bread and wine of communion, your neighbor is the holiest object presented to your senses. If he is your Christian neighbor, he is holy in almost the same way, for in him also Christ is hidden. The glorifier and the glorified, glory himself, is truly within. This weekend, the 151st Diocesan Convention convened here in Little Rock, and I am always moved by the opening worship, seeing Episcopalians from across the state gathered in common prayer. You could call it a glimpse of glory. It's a revelation that we are part of the body of Christ, a reality that is much more magnificent than what we usually see. The business sessions were good, too, maybe a little less glorious. We have a lot to be grateful for in our diocese, from the vital ministries and careful stewardship of our resources. But the best part of convention was what our bishop shared with us, reflecting on his long and faithful tenure and preaching the good news to us once again. There were big moments of joyful applause and response. If the account of the Transfiguration tells us anything, it's that when you see God's glory at work, words are simply inadequate. Now, I was going to write a lot more about glory for you for today, but the bishop kept us well past lunch yesterday. So I will simply bring us back to the planetarium for just a moment. I like to imagine church as a kind of planetarium. Whether it's a diocesan convention or a worship service like this, we enter this space to expand our knowledge of a spiritual solar system, if you will. We hope to see God's transfiguration, 
a glimpse of God's glory and the shining faces of one another as the body of Christ. It takes a minute for our eyes to adjust to the heavenly light. And as they do, we come to glimpse more glory than we ever knew existed. Amen.